the rest of us, if you grab a Bible and, and turn to Titus chapter 2, we're continuing our series on discipleship. Today, we want to consider cross-generational discipleship. As uh, the title says, it uh, should be pretty obvious, discipleship that goes across ages. So older people, younger people, all involved in discipling one another. And the Bible has something to say about every single relationship that we encounter in life. Uh, husband, wife, parent, child, employer, employee, friends, older people, younger people. The, the Bible talks about all, all of them. And Paul speaks of the dynamics of relationship as they pertain to learning and teaching in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to notice as we go through this lesson that every segment in the church is called to learn, and it's called to grow, it's called to, it's called to change, to be transformed, regardless of age. The old adage, an old dog cannot learn new tricks, is not biblical. And if you ever... Claim that to be the reason why you're not changing. You're claiming a sinful, unbiblical approach to life. Because to be a Christian is to be ever-changing. I hope you get that. To be a Christian is to be ever-changing. It's the doctrine of sanctification. If we're not changing, then we're not really in Christ. Um, This passage that we are here that we have before us today implies that every single person in the church must be willing to learn and then to act according to what they have learned. Remember, we are not just hearers of the Word of God. We are doers. If the doing part is not there, we haven't really heard. Remember in Matthew chapter 7 where uh, Jesus finishes His sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and He says, look, you all were here, and you all heard what I just said. But if you hear these words and you don't do them, you're like a builder, he says a foolish builder, who builds his house on the sandy part of a dry riverbed. It's great when it's dry, your house is there, but when the flood, the, the, the flash flood comes, your house is gone. So when life happens... Your house is destroyed, but the wise man is one who hears the word of God and then builds his heart uh, and does them as like the guy that builds his house on, a, on the bedrock. It doesn't matter what the storms of life are, the, the house stands. James says the same thing in James 1 and 2. So we want to be people who hear the word of God and then does them. And this passage here before us is consistent with the idea that a Christian is a disciple-making Disciple, that we are disciples and we're also making disciples for Jesus Christ. So let's look at verses 1 through 8 of Titus chapter 2. The apostle says, But as for you, speak things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the, the older man be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women... Likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, 
homemakers, good, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opposite, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. What have we seen so far in our series on discipleship? We've seen that every Christian is a disciple. A disciple is not something that you become later on. At the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. We also look at a few definitions of discipleship, and this is the one we're going to use throughout the discipleship is the constant process in which a Christian is helped by the covenant community to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that he becomes progressively conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and can, in turn, disciple others. We also saw that discipleship is always centered on the Bible. Remember, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18-20 is to make disciples... But one of the things is by teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Not just teaching them to know, but teaching them to observe what Christ has commanded. So discipleship is always centered on the Bible. You're not discipling somebody if what you're doing is not um, centered, grounded on the Scriptures. So you're not discipling somebody by just playing golf, and golf with them. You're not discipling somebody by just having coffee with them. Those are great things, but they're not discipleship. Because discipleship is always anchored in the scriptures. And we also saw that discipleship is a means that God uses to preserve us until Jesus returns. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 3. Our need of others to help us see our blind, our sinful blind spots. We saw in, that in Hebrews chapter 10 where the, the, the spurring, the, the stirring each other into good, into good works is one of the ways that the, the Lord keeps us until the day of Jesus Christ. And then we saw that the Lord's Day is at the center of the discipleship process. Everything flows from that. You cannot really, truly, biblically, ordinarily make disciples apart from uh, the Lord's Day. So that's what we've been so far. And we saw that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 20, uh, 22 through 25. Any questions about where we have been? Andrew? I like the uh, focus on... Discipleship having this center on the Bible. Do you think it's fair to call like implicit modeling of Scripture also discipleship? I think when I first came back to the faith, I worked for a Christian businessman. He wasn't always pointing to Scriptures, but he modeled for me what a faithful man in the in the workplace looked like, and that was and I felt that helped me understand Scripture, even though he wasn't always pulling out his Bible and saying. To a point. Only if at some point says, and I do this because, right? You know, just doing stuff, uh, people don't go, whoa, that's because of this, right? So the connection has to be made at some point. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we had, you know, conversations here and there, but it wasn't like every day he was, you know, pulling out. Yes. So I'm doing this because here in the Bible it said. Right, and that's fine. He was a Christian man that he tried to follow Christ in all aspects. And as I watched him, I saw that in the way that he ran the business. Right, and that's fine, but at some point, that connection has to be made. 
right? Because that's the ultimate authority. Uh, the, my example is not the ultimate authority, right? And so the scriptures have to be brought in at some point as a reason why I'm behaving in a certain, in a certain way. Uh, uh, the scriptures seem to put the practice more in terms of not contradicting the teaching than as teaching itself. So that's important for us to keep in mind as well. Anything else? Here. Everything flows in growth from Christ, from the worship of Him on His day. Right? Yes, and then a lot of discipleship happens in the fellowship of the saints on the Lord's day. Go back and listen to about two Sundays ago, and that's where the foundation of that is. But the idea that that's where we start, if we are not going to be using the Lord's day for discipleship in the service, in being with each other, we're not going to disciple the unbeliever, right? So that's being a witness at work is not discipleship, it's something else. Um, but in order for us to grow in Christ, whether or not if it's not tied to the Lord's day, it's hap- it happened the same way that the analog clock is right twice a day, right? But it's not really the model that God's given. God's given us a model of ordinary means for us to grow in changing Christ. And same for discipleship is helping others grow in changing Christ. You can't do that apart from the ordinary means. And what are the ordinary means? The reading, but especially the preaching of God's word on the Lord's day, the sacraments. Lord's Day again, and prayer that happens every day, but the Lord's Day is representative of every day. That's why it's, it's anchored on that and flows from that. And, and that should be this, how we think of weeks anyway, as flowing from one Lord's Day then into another, another Lord's Day, right? From, from a peak of the Lord's Day into the valley of the week and then to a peak of the Lord's Day, that's how we should see our journey into heaven. If that's the case, then everything, including discipleship, is anchored there. Does it make sense? All right. Any, any other questions about what we have covered so far? All right. So, let's start to... to <laughs> that's generational discipleship right there. Really? See, the, is our, if I may say, the oldest member and the youngest member of our church at the moment. So, yeah. Uh, I forgot I had to put that picture there. <laughs> I was like, what? Is there a misspell? Is that what everybody's going to say? <laughs> now, what is, what is it that Titus is supposed to teach the congregation in Crete? Now, here, that's what Titus... Titus is in Crete, this island, uh, one of the Greek islands, and he's there to plant churches, to establish congregations, to, to get elders ordained. And what is it that he's supposed to teach them there. And our passage says in verse 1 that he's to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So he's supposed to teach things that are proper for sound doctrine. The idea is that Titus is to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, uh, to teach what agrees with sound doctrine. That is what is keeping with healthy teaching. That's what sound means there, healthy um, when we talk about sound doctrine, that's what we mean, healthy doctrine according to the scriptures. And what we see is a mix of theological teaching and practical teaching in what Titus is supposed to teach the church. And that's important for us to keep in mind. Right practice, what some call orthopractice, praxi, 
and right doctrine, which we call orthodoxy, must always be go hand, must always go hand in hand. You overemphasize either side constantly. If you have a constant overemphasis on the on orthodoxy or orthopraxy, you have an, an unbalanced, you have an unhealthy spiritual diet. As you've heard me say before, I don't think there is one doctrinal one doctrinal teaching of the scriptures. There isn't one who's not that is not practical. Everything that scriptures teach is to be lived on a day-by-day um, basis. And if that's not demonstrated, then the teaching is not uh, complete there. And notice that in verse 1, says he is to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So there's also the, often this emphasis on actually speaking of the words coming up. It's also important that he use the word speak, which is just a general word, is not necessarily uh, the idea of formal teaching. It's not the, the idea of preaching. It includes private counseling, informal talking with one with others. But the the idea of words are always involved in training and growing Christ and being transformed there. So that's what he's supposed to teach to the congregation: what is proper for sound doctrine. Now, why is Titus supposed to teach these things to the congregation in Crete? Why is it that Paul came to this point and said, hey, you need to do this? Well, one is, in chapter 1, we learned that there were false teachers that are teaching otherwise. There are false teachers in Crete teaching otherwise. In verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1, we see that. And that's why Paul says that it is important that good elders were ordained in every congregation so that they can refute these false teachers, and train the people in the church how to refute. That's part of discipleship, knowing what is right, so that when, you're, when what is wrong comes to you, you're aware of that, and you, you can refute that. Also, Paul, Titus was to teach the Cretans these things, because doing these things is a normal, normal uh, way of living, a life of a Christian. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul says that because the grace of Christ has appeared, we live our lives according to what Titus is, is teaching them, according to what Paul tells Titus he is supposed to teach. What, so what uh, we find here in chapter 2 is not what super-Christians should be doing. It's not a model for us to attain. He says this is normal life. And if we're not living that way, we're not lo- living the normal Christian life. Uh, often we look at the Scriptures as something that we're supposed to be attaining the super, script, the super spiritual, eventually you get there. But most of what the scriptures describe is what it means to be a Christian in everyday life. Not the super life, but the ordinary life. And Titus 2 is one of those things that uh, uh, is normal, supposed to be normal day life. Also, Paul tells Titus to speak things which are proper for sound doctrine because the job of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So that, we saw that in Ephesians 4, verse 11. Uh, the work of the ministry is nothing more than the work of serving. That's what ministry means, serving. And we are to be serving one another. We are to be discipling one another. So the pastor, Titus, is supposed to be teaching the congregation these things so that they can, in turn, serve one another, do the work of the ministry, disciple one another. And notice that Titus is to speak to the older men, is to speak to the older women, and to point out to them that they should be training the younger men and the younger women. Uh, it's interesting that Paul says, tell them that that's what they need to be doing. It, uh, Paul puts the, 
the, the focus and the burden of the discipleship of the younger men and the younger women on the older men and older women. Not on the pastor, but on the people there. And he does that because Christianity and church life is not an spectator spot, sport. It's not something that people come to watch. Um, it is something that people are to participate. Are we okay so far with the reasons why Paul wrote this to Titus and why it fits in what we're talking about, discipleship? All right. So what is it that flows from healthy doctrine? So again, in verse 1, Paul says, As for you, speaking to Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And he addresses the older men. And then the question always becomes, who are the older men? This is a relative term. term. It's relative to those around you. Uh, the context you're in. So it's a situational term, depending on your context. Uh, in Greek literature, it's often be used by, for men 50 or older. But that doesn't have to be just that. It's really... Uh, for the context that you are in. It's not limited to that. And just because it's addressing the older man doesn't mean that the older men have arrived and they don't need to learn anything. He, the older man can also learn from the younger men. But what is it that Paul tells the older men? He tells them in verse 2 that the older man be sober. What does it mean to be Sober. Let's just be very basic. What does it mean to be sober? Lois? Yes, Lois. Good job. Yes. Sober means not drunk. That's exactly what the word means. Means not drunk. It includes more than that, but not less. I was just talking to somebody once who said, oh, this word more means more than being drunk. And I agree with that, but he was using that in order to justify his being drunk. It, it means more than just not being drunk, but it doesn't mean any less than not being drunk. So Christians, uh, the older men as here as the representative of Christians, are not to be drunk and to teach others that way as well. But it's a general idea of being level-headed. Older men are to be level-headed. And I don't mean that having a flat head, but you know, being stable. They also told there in verse 2 that they are to be reverent. This is the word for serious as opposed to silly. It includes the idea of being worthy of respect because he's able to understand what circumstances must not be treated lightly. It involves sound judgment. It, it's not the same thing as being gloomy or sour, but it involves having sound judgment. Paul continues to tell the older man, they are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Oh, sorry, we went into the older women. Reverent, temperate. He has to be self-controlled in all things. Structure and discipline must be part of his life. Isn't it a fruit of the Spirit anyway, self-discipline? And yet, Paul says that's especially true of the older men. That older men are to be disciplined, self-disciplined, and as we're going to see later, so that he can teach also the younger men to be self-disciplined. He's also supposed to be there in verse 3, 
verse 2, sorry, sorry, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Sound, here is the same word as in verse 1, means healthy. So the older man's faith is to be healthy. This includes what he believes and how he believes it. One is, is healthy in faith when he knows what the Lord teaches in his word and has learned to put it into practice in his life. That's what a healthy faith is. When we're, we know what the Bible says and then we're doing what the Bible says. You leave e- either one out, then it's not a healthy faith. And also you're supposed to be healthy in love, according to this verse. So godly men love and let others know they love them. This involves knowing that he is loved by God and that he loves God. Also, notice that it is the older men who are to lead the church in showing what love is, not the women. It is in the older man description that you are to be sound in love. So it's the job of the older man to show the church what love is. So as I say, real man loves, and, he, and they teach us how love looks like, how we are to demonstrate that, that love. And then it says that he's healthy or sound in patience. And this has more to do with the endurance than it does in patience. That's arriving at the end. This is the ability to hang in there when the going gets tough. As the older man approaches the time when he's going to join that cloud of witnesses, he must uh, show that he is still running his race with perseverance. And then the older man will teach, will disciple the younger man in all these things. The younger man will teach the younger man to grow into being older man. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Uh, there, there is a, 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 continue, a, a continual dynamics here in which you know, older men are phasing out and going to glory, and younger men have been trained by the older man to become that older man that now are going to be training the younger men in the life of the church, much like seven, Psalm 78 says that we saw a few weeks ago. Any questions on, the, on the, what Paul says here concerning the older man and how he is now to go ahead and train the younger man in those things? All right, so that's the next group here in Titus chapter 2 as we talk about this generational, cross-generational discipleship is the older women in verse 3. The age suggestion is the same for this group, so you can fit down. Great wisdom in Paul's um, in the way that Paul wrote this. He didn't say old men and old women. It's older men and older women. Um, that way it's, 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 it's a, a sliding scale. And you don't have to be, feel offended if you are in that category and so on in uh, Western sensitivity. Look there in verse 3. Paul says, The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not giving too much wine, teaching teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women. Uh, the, the women also must be taught proper living, Paul says here. And they are to be taught to have reverent, to be reverent in behavior. The idea is that they are to, be con- uh, to conduct themselves with the, an outward behavior that is appropriate for a holy person. That's what the word reverent means, a holy person. So the Paul tells Titus, teach the woman there in Crete 
the women in Crete, to con- conduct themselves, to carry themselves as is appropriate of a saint of the Lord Jesus Christ. She lives as one who is, in all matters of life, lives dedicated to the service of God. That's the description of an older woman. Woman, Paul is saying that you ought to know this woman is dedicated to the service of the Lord by the way in which she carries on day by day in observable ways. So he's talking about the older women, but it's true of all of us that our lives, as Andrew is talking about his boss, reflects what we believe. There's an observable element to our faith. Right? Our faith should not be a mystery to others in the way that we behave. And then Paul says that the older women are not to be slanderers. Now, nothing characterizes a devilish person more than slander or gossip. As a matter of fact, the word translated devil is the word for slanderer. So one who is a slanderer is a child of the devil. And it's interesting that if it is correct that Romans 1, 18 through 32 is a description of a spiraling down of human nature, in which at one point God gives them over to a reprobate mind, and then they go deeper into sin. Gossip and slander is at a deeper level of heinousness than homosexuality. We are always up in arms about homosexualities and so on. And yet, if that's the case, disobedience to parents and gossip and slander are a much heinous crime in the sight of God. That. I'm not saying that we should think that heinous, that uh, homosexuality is not that heinous. We, we just need to make sure that we give the same sort of weight to these other sins as well. And the, the older women are to, told to not be slanderous. Now, there are very few things that can be more devastating to a congregation and relationships in general than gossip and slander. And discipleship only works if the truth is being spoken in love not gossip and slander. Do you know the difference between gossip and slander? Slander is always false. Gossip may be true. It's just not yours to be talking about. Okay? But when when it starts, it tends to burn through a congregation like wildfire. And the fact that it's in the list of the women tells us that they are more prone to succumb to this problem. Um... It's not in the, the laziness is in the list of the men, the young men. So we, we led to think that's a problem that they may be more prone to succumb. The same with the slander and gossip being the list of the women. Maybe there's a likelihood that that's the case there as well. Now, men need to be very careful about this as well. But perhaps women need to take a special care over this. So what we need to do concerning this, as we, as we do, try to disciple others and we don't want to be gossip or slanders, well, we need to look at our hearts. And then we need to look ourselves, ask ourselves, why are you talking about a particular person? Are you or the people you're talking with part of the solution of whatever is going on? How are the people you're talking about going to be more conformed to the image of Christ by what you're saying? So if you're talking to somebody else and you're discipling them as an older woman and you're talking, about, uh, talking to somebody about somebody else, is that what you're saying going to cause that person you're discipling to grow, be transformed, and to look more like Christ 
as a result of hearing what you're saying about this other person? But it's a question that we have to keep in mind. How are you, how are, is, is what you are saying promoting love for God and love for others? Is what you're saying about this person promoting love for God and love for others? As I hear you talk. Are you trying to assassinate the other person's character? And the guise of prayer request or wisdom or whatever it is. Are you trying to gain an advantage by talking about the other person? You know, we, we, are, we have a tendency to want to lure people around us where we can look better. So as you're talking, remember, you're always discipling. We are always discipling. No matter what, we are disciplers. So as an older woman, as you're discipling a younger woman, and you're talking about somebody else, why are you doing that? It's important to keep in mind. And then Paul says that uh, Titus is to instruct them to be teachers of good things. Well, I skipped um, uh, not, uh, no, uh, sorry. Not slanders, not giving too much wine, so you can't be a drunkard either, older women. You don't got to pass on that else. But notice that it doesn't say you must abstain from wine. It's just not, not, not given too much wine. So um, you have to not be a drunkard, not to be consumed by wine, not to be addicted to mind-altering substances, and so on. And then Paul says you are to be teachers of good things. What Paul says is that instead of using the tongue to hurt, you're to use your tongue to build and to build especially the younger women. Notice that Titus' job was to tell the older women that they must be teaching the younger women in these categories. It's interesting that uh, the pastor here in this epistle is to come to the older women, instruct them, and they take upon themselves the instruction of the younger women, which to me makes a lot of of sense as, as a pastor. And if you count, there are seven things that the older women are to teach the younger women. Look at verse 4. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good obedience to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, the fact that Paul is saying to Titus, go and tell the good, the, 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 teach the older women to do these things, implies that the older women must be willing to teach the younger women. And it doesn't have to be just in a formal classroom setting, but the older women must be willing to teach the younger women. It's just part of being an older woman, part of being an older woman in the church. And the word here, translated admonish in our translation, means to impart wisdom. The older women must be willing to impart wisdom to the younger women. And this teaching is to be done by word, by deed, together. You know, an older woman, uh, and, and so an older woman, for example, cannot teach a, an old and a younger woman to love her husband if she is hateful towards her husband, and so on. So that's important to the deeds to go along with the. Um, the teaching as well. Now, just so that I understand, you don't have to have gone through the same things in life in order to be able to help a younger woman. Like, you don't have to have kids in order to teach, to help your, the younger women, woman to love their children because the scriptures show you how that is done and so on. 
Any questions on that, on the older women? As we think of their disciple and the younger women. So if you are an older woman and you're thinking, oh, the pastor will take care of it, he'll instruct the younger woman, he'll do that, then you're going against the very teachings of the scriptures who tells you to be discipling the younger uh, women in, in the church. Right? So these two groups are the anchor groups for the church, the older men and the older women. The, the younger men are going to learn from the older men, and the younger women are, will learn from the older women. And this is important. Our youth is and will be a reflection of the, our older men and women in the church. Our youth is going to be a reflection of the older men and the older women in the church. That's, that's what Paul is teaching us here in, in Titus. And that's, that's important for us to keep in mind. All right, so let's move on to the younger women in verse 6. Likewise, exhort the... Oh, no, sorry, verse 5. Uh, we see the instruction for the younger women in, in the instruction to the older women. What, what is it the older women to teach the younger women? Uh, that's what we find there. And there are seven things that the older women are to instruct the younger women. And notice that, that Paul calls them all good um, in verse 4, that they admonish the young women. Oh, verse 3, teach, teachers of good things. The older women are teachers of good things. And what is it they teach is the content of the following verse. And so notice that Paul calls God's word these things that are supposed to be taught good. So everything we read here is good. Not eh, not a burden to carry, but good. Is there, this word good that he uses here also can be translated as beautiful. These are beautiful things that younger women are to be taught by older women. And they are called wisdom because this idea of admonishing is the impartation of wisdom. So notice that the younger women's list of good, beautiful, and wise things revolves around the home. Her, her center is the home. Everything flows from that. And this is completely contrary to what is encouraged in society today. Uh, some of you are in both of these groups at the same time, older and younger women. So you, you're going to be moving back and forth between those two groups. So um, it may be a little more complex there. But look at the list there in verse 4. These are the good things that the older women have to teach the younger women, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. There are two things that this implies. One is, there are times when you don't feel like loving your husband and your children. Right? Just raise your left side of your mouth if you agree <laughs> with that, women. <laughs> the, 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 since you need to be exhorted to do that, the implication there are times when you don't feel like loving your husband. You don't feel like loving your children. The second implication is this. You can learn to do so. Right? Because you're, being you're supposed to be taught that. It means that you can learn to do so. It's not like a, a, a feeling and an emotion you have no control over something that you can learn to do. 
So when you don't feel like doing it, repent, confess to God, and start loving. Because God gives you the grace to do that. Also, the older women have to teach the younger women to be discreet. That's the idea of self-control, related to the word wisdom and right thinking. Also, it's to be, so they're supposed to be chaste. The older women have to teach the younger women to be chaste. The, the, this, this is a form of the word holy that is often related to sexual purity. And this is true physically and emotionally, that the younger women are to be taught that. Uh, they are to be taught to be, in our translation, uh, homemakers, in verse 5. The idea here is a manager of the home. You're supposed to be a manager of the home. Now, some have looked at this and said this is a prohibition for the woman to work outside the house. And to say that is not to read the Bible. Because the Bible does not teach that. It is not a prohibition as far as working outside of the home is concerned. Rather, it is a description of the primary duty of the woman. The elder is also called to be a good manager of the household. In 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're not, saying, we're not ready to say that the man then is not to work outside the house. Because then we have a problem, right? Because then neither the man nor the woman... So uh, the kids are going to support them? Okay, okay. That, liking that there. Um, that what, what Paul is saying here is that the younger women need, women need to be taught that nothing should get in the way of this duty of being the manager of the household. You know, someone can stay home all day and not come even close to doing what Paul tells her to do here. So it's not a location principle. It's a mindset principle. Now, if you're working outside the house 120 hours a week, it's just going to be impossible to do this, right? Because the primary focus is somewhere else, not in here. Someone can work outside of the home and be a great example of this as well. So it's not just your location, it's your mindset is where your primary focus is, the woman, the, the, the younger woman, the married younger woman, her primary focus is the home. Um, you know, if you look at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, and then you come up, you conclude from that, that that woman only stayed at home, you have a problem. She's out buying fields. She's trading in the, the, the market. She's sowing and selling stuff. She's planting the field to sell stuff. So there's all kinds of small businesses that she was starting. And so all with a purpose, right, to further her family's mission. But these things are being done as well, but her focus is still primarily in the home. Any questions on that? And then um, Paul also tells Titus to teach the older women that they need to teach the younger women that the younger women, women need to be obedient to their own husbands. This word obey here is the same word as submission in Ephesians 5. It's the same word there. And this is true of both the younger and older women, right? No, so now I'm older women, I don't have to do this anymore, I just have to teach the younger women to do that. No, that's not the case. That's true for younger and older women. And notice that it's not to men in general that they are to be obedient or submissive, it's to their own husbands. And that's a, I think some people have got that wrong, that they think that every woman is to submit to every man. And that's not the case. A wife is to submit to her own husband, and that's it. Right? 
Now, there are other relationships that all of us are involved that we're, we are all to submit to the church government. We're all to submit to the, um, to the civil government. We're all, all children to submit to her, their parents and the Lord. But as far as the woman goes, this command to submit is to the, her own husband, not to every, every man. And again, notice also that God says this is a good, beautiful, and wise thing to do. That the concept of obedience submission is not a bad thing, is not a um, demeaning thing, is good, beautiful, and wise. And as they do that, Paul says, the word of God is not blasphemed in verse, the end of verse 5, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Peter says that as these things happen, the word of God is actually adorned, the gospel is adorned. As, as it were, the gospel is even made more beautiful by this. Uh, this and is, it, in Peter, is also attached to the behavior of the women, as it is here in Titus. Any questions on this or comments? All right, so here we're talking about discipleship that goes cross-generational. The best way to have godly women in the church is for the women to be discipling one another according to the word of God. And then we have the younger man in verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed of having nothing evil to say to you. Because of the diversification of our Bible, we think that the only thing that... uh, the young men are to concern with is self-control, which by itself is already a great thing for every young man to be uh, focusing on. It's one of the most useful things for a young man to, to focus on. But the, the, that's not the only thing that's, he- that's left here. The rest of verses 6, 7, and 8 apply to young men as well. But the young man is supposed to be self-controlled. The idea here is to be, one's, to, to be in one's right mind, to think things through from the perspective of God's word. That, that's what an older man is to teach the younger man, to think things through from the perspective of God's word. But this is not all that Paul says to the younger man. He, does, he goes on to instruct Timothy, not Timothy, Titus on how he is supposed to be an example to the younger man. Titus to be a pattern of ex, or example of good works, to the whole church, but especially to the younger man. And the younger man, the, the, the young man is to know what he believes, is to have integrity in doctrine. The young man is to respect the good doctrine of the Bible by doing what it says. That's implied in the word reverence. The young man is to not to be to let himself be corrupted by what is not biblical. And the older man would be to be instructing the younger man in those things. So these dynamics of relationships give us a pattern for cross-generational discipleship. They also require that relationships exist that are invested into. These things that that Paul describes here are not going to happen if we're not investing in each other's lives. You can't just walk up to somebody that you never had a conversation and tell them to read his Bible more or to think in a better way. You have to have the relationship that will allow you to carry out these um, discipleship relationships. Any comments or questions before we close? 
All right, so let's pray then. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. We pray that, that you convict us where we need conviction. We pray that we would indeed be a, a church full of disciple-making disciples, that we'd be invested in each other's lives, that older and younger would be pointing each other to Christ and helping us to be transformed into his image. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.